Well, happy Sunday, South Valley Community Church. We are coming out of Easter. It was so good to see so many of your faces. For many of you, you've been uh, coming to our outdoor services for quite some time. For many of you, that was the first Sunday back at an in-person gathering. And so if you haven't got a chance to come to one of our outdoor services, we would love to see you. They're taking place in both Gilroy and Hollister. You can find all the information online. Now today, coming out of Easter, we start a new series entitled Lessons from the Wilderness. It's this point in biblical history where the people of Israel are between Egypt and the Promised Land. God has recently, through Moses, delivered them from slavery and oppression in Egypt, and they're on their way to the Promised Land. But between those two places, they're going to spend roughly 40 years in the wilderness. And it's a time of wandering, it's a time of trial and a time of testing. And so what we wanna do for the next four weeks in this series is look at some stories from that time period and draw out lessons from then that we think are incredibly important and relevant for the times that we are currently in. Where we start week one is right after Israel has crossed the Red Sea. Now. They've just seen God do the miraculous. There's been the plagues. There's been the parting of the Red Sea. And now they make their first steps into their wilderness. And what I'd like to do is walk through a few chapters. And these are sort of like episodes, if you will. They're three independent episodes, one after another, three independent stories. But when you kind of look at them all together, some themes will begin to emerge that I think, again, are incredibly important and relevant for the times that we're in. So the first episode, if you will, begins in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. And it may sound familiar to many of you because we actually touched on this short section in our Easter sermon, both online and in person. So we're not going to spend too much time here, but it's important that we establish this story once again for the two episodes that come after. So Exodus 15, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out from the wilderness of Shur. They journeyed for three days in the wilderness, finding, not finding water. They came to Marah, but they could not drink the water at Marah because it was bitter. This is why it was named Marah. The people grumbled to Moses, what are we going to drink? So a key word here is, the people grumbled against Moses. Now, oftentimes people give uh, Israel a hard time, like they just saw God do all these miracles and it's been three days and they're already grumbling. Were there three days in the wilderness? This is a desert, like it's a barren wasteland. You know, you could only survive without water for roughly three days, but if you're in a desert climate and you're traveling, three days without water means you're at the point of death. So oftentimes people will look down upon Israel at this time, but my suspicion is that you or I may not be much different from them. So they cry out and they grumble to Moses, what are we going to drink? So he cried out to the Lord, Moses, and the Lord showed him a log or a tree. And that should be familiar if you were here for our Easter service. And he says, when it says he shows Moses this tree and then Moses throws this log or this tree or this branch, this stick into the water. And when he threw it into the water, the water became drinkable. So the people grumble and God miraculously provides. And then it goes on in verse 25. The Lord made a statue and an ordinance for them at Marah, and he tested them there. He said, if you will carefully obey the Lord your God, do what is right in his sight, pay attention to his commands, and keep all of his statues, I will not inflict any illness on you that I afflicted on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So some key words here. 
again, we already said they grumbled against God. And then it says that God provided and that this was done so that God could test them. God is bringing Israel into the wilderness for trials of testing. This will be important for later. And then this first episode ends with verse 27 where it says, Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 date palms, and they camped there by the water. Now, oftentimes, when the Bible lists specific details like this, that there's 12 springs and 70 date palms, sometimes it's, it's just there and it's recording the historical details. But sometimes those historical details also have some greater significance. Like, why does the Bible go out of the way to highlight 12 springs and 70 date palms and move on? Well, we can't be certain of this, but what's fascinating is if you look at the way the book of Exodus starts, Exodus chapter 1, the book begins by listing the 12 tribes of Israel, and then it says in verse 5, chapter, uh, verse 5, chapter 1, that the total number of Jacob's descendants was 70. The book of Exodus starts with naming the 12 tribes of Israel and then specifically drawing attention to the fact that all of the descendants of Jacob, all of Israel, are 70 people. So possibly what's occurring in this is it's a way for the biblical authors to say God is providing enough for everybody. All 12 tribes and all of the 70 families, there will be provision for everyone. So that's the end of episode one. Grumble, testing, provision. Episode two, right in the next chapter, chapter 16. The entire Israelite community, community departed from Elam and came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into the wilderness to make the whole assembly die of hunger. Now, did you catch the word grumbled again? They're complaining again. They're making an accusation. Why isn't there provision? And again, you can kind of look down upon Israel, but the text says it's the second, it's the 15th day of the second month, which means it's, you know, you could think about roughly 45 days they've been in the wilderness and there hasn't been sufficient food. So I know some of you, you know, you miss lunch and by dinner time you're going around saying, I'm starving. And it's like, no, 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 these people are at the point of real malnutrition. And they're, they're grumbling, yes, but they're also crying out for provision. One of the weird accusations in this, though, is it says, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate bread. They're failing to see the character of God in their mind. We're dying out here because of God. I wish God just would have killed us back in Egypt where we at least would have died by meat and bread. It's a failure to see the goodness of God here. They're attributing their suffering directly to him. And they're saying, hey, if you're going to be a horrible God to us, might as well just let us die in Egypt because we don't have meat and bread. But then in verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So that's a preparation for the Sabbath. You, you double collect on the sixth day so you're not working on the seventh day. But here again is the key theme of testing. God says, I am going to provide bread from heaven. 
daily bread for you. Now you're only to take enough for that day, enough to fill you up for that day. And you do this daily. This is the concept of daily bread. Then it goes on in verse 6, chapter 16. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, this evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the Lord's glory because he has heard your complaints about him. For who are we that you complain about us? Moses continued, the Lord will give you meat to eat this evening and all the bread you want in the morning. For he has heard your complaints that you are raising up against him. Who are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. So Moses tells Israel, God is going to provide again. You're going to have meat. There's going to be quail that come in. And then in the morning, there's going to be enough bread. But follow the patterns again. Grumbling, testing, and provision. That's the end of episode two. The last episode, episode three, takes place in the very next chapter. Verse, chapter 17, verse one. The entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin, moving from one place to the next according to the Lord's command. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the people complained to Moses, give us water to drink. You're catching, you're catching the repetition now. They're complaining to Moses, we don't have enough to drink. Now at this point, you might be thinking They've, they should know better. God has faithfully provided for them. Bread, meat, water when they need it. Why are they doubting at this point? And why are they complaining? This is sort of Moses' response. Moses responds in verse three. Why are you complaining to me? Moses replied to them. Why are you testing the Lord? You you see the reversal here. See, before in episode one and two, you have the Lord testing the people. But now Moses says, why are you doing this? Now the people, you are testing the Lord. God, probably not a good move. Verse three, but the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Again, a subtle twist. Remember before in the first story is like, why did God bring us out here to kill us? And now they're saying, why did you Moses bring us out here to kill us? It's fascinating. I don't know if this is a step forward or a step backward, because in one sense, um, their accusation before was against God, and now it's changed to Moses, so maybe that's a good thing. But in another sense, at least in the previous stories, they're taking their address and their complaint to the one who they're they're at least claiming is sovereign to fix the situation. Now they're just going to Moses saying, you brought us out here to die. Verse 4, then Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? In a little while, they will stone me. So the people are so upset, so angry that Moses goes to God and says, they're going to strike me with stones until death. These people want to kill me. They want to strike me with stones to the point of death. Verse five, the Lord answered Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Now, now, these details are important. Take the staff you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I am going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. When you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. See, oftentimes when we read texts, we're not 
picturing in our minds what the Bible is wanting us to imagine. This is intense imagery. It looks at the details. Moses to take the staff. The staff, uh, the shepherd's staff could be used to comfort. It could be used to correct. It could also be to, to hit or to fight off wolves. So it could be something of correction or discipline. It doesn't say specifically what's going on here. It just says, take the staff and then listen to this. God says, I am going to stand there in front of the rock. So you have to picture this. You're picturing God standing in front of the rock. And then what does God command Moses to do? Strike the rock. And when you strike the rock, water will come out. This is powerful imagery. This is what Moses does. And it goes on and says, Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? The image is God himself is standing in front of the rock. Moses, take the staff, strike it, and then provision will occur. It's a powerful image. See, before God was testing Israel, now Moses is saying, you're testing the Lord. And before Israel was going to strike Moses with stones in order to kill him. And now God tells Moses to strike the rock, which he is standing in front of, in order that living water might be provided to sustain the people of Israel. This is powerful stuff, very powerful image. And it's this idea of God providing through himself sustenance for his people. Now, this pattern will play out in the wilderness and God provides this kind of daily provision for his people for 40 years. But I want to flash forward to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 2. And God has now been providing for his people in the wilderness and he's preparing for them to enter into the promised land. Remember, we're at the point in biblical history of Israel between Egypt and the promised land. And listen to the words that God tells Israel after he's been discipling them, if you will, training them, testing them in the wilderness, preparing them for the promised land. This is what becomes so incredibly important for us. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you by letting you go hungry, that, you, that then he gave manna for you to eat, which you and your fathers had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Verse 4, your clothing did not wear out and your feet did not swell for 40 years. Keep in mind, the Lord God has been disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. So keep the commands for the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing them. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and springs and deep water sources flowing in both valleys and hills, a land of wheat, barley, vines, figs, and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without shortage, where you will lack nothing, a land whose rocks are iron, from whose hills you will mine copper. When you eat and are full, you will bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now for ancient people, this imagery is like the most incredible, perfect paradise you can imagine. I mean, I've underlined some of the key phrases. There's streams and springs and deep water sources. You're not going to have to worry about thirst anymore. It's a land of wheat, barley, vines, figs, pomegranates, olive oil, honey, 
You're going to eat food without shortage and you will lack nothing. And God says, because of that, then you should turn and thank the Lord and bless him because he's brought you along this way and has trained you like a son. But then this is, this is the twist. This is the twist. Chapter 8, verse 11. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commands, ordinances, and statutes that I am giving you today. When you eat and are full and build beautiful houses to live in, and your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold multiply, and everything else you have increases. Be careful that your heart does not become proud, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. You see how this is working. God is saying, it is when you arrive in the promised land that then the test, the ultimate trial will begin, because then it will be easy to forget the Lord your God. See, think about it. If you wake up and are relying on a miracle of the, the miracle of bread from heaven on a daily basis, you don't forget God. If I have to wake up and my daily provision is dependent upon God literally miraculously providing bread from heaven, I don't forget God. However, it's when things start to get so well. There's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to stress about. You got, you lack no shorts. You got the food, the, the springs, the, the figs, the pomegranates, the olive oil. It's all good in life. Then you might forget the Lord your God. And then even worse in verse 17, listen to what it says. You may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. And this is where it's incredibly important and relevant for us. And it's not saying that tomorrow is going to be way better than yesterday or all of a sudden everything's going to get way better. But we are experiencing things beginning to open up. Things are, there, there's some light at the end of the tunnel with all the, the things that have been occurring regarding the pandemic. And there might be a temptation in that to start celebrating and forgetting all the ways God provided for, for you individually, for your family, for this church in the last year. I mean, God was faithful to us in so many different ways. And I know that God's been faithful to me and God has been faithful to you. And the temptation is when things get easier, then you might forget God. Because I don't know about you, but there were times in the last year where, I mean, I just, I prayed to God in ways that that I've rarely prayed. It was like, God, provide for the church, provide for the people. How can we minister to people? What do we do with this? What do we do with that? What do we do with this problem? And there was an intensity to prayer that was unlike some other points in my life. And you might share that similar experience. And so the lesson for us is to, to not forget the lessons learned in the wilderness that God is our sustenance. God is the one who provides. He himself is our daily bread. Now, the Christian claim is that Jesus Christ himself is the bread of life and he himself is the living water. 
And so just as God provided for Israel in the desert, we thousands of years later are to turn to the same God and say, Lord, you are my bread. You are my water. You have been faithful. Continue to provide and continue to bless for us. So here's my challenge. And I'm not saying everything is going to get better super fast and we're like, we're out of the woods with, with everything. But I want to prepare our church that if things continue to get better as they seem they are, that we wouldn't forget the Lord our God and that we would be all the more faithful and all the more committed to Christ and his kingdom and that we would strive all the harder to be obedient, that we wouldn't be people who grumble, that we in turn would be people who turn to God and rely on him for daily provision. So as we close, the lesson from the wilderness for week one is this. Oftentimes it is in the land of milk and honey that you forget the Lord your God. So let us pray that we would not be that type of people. And so Lord, we thank you for provision. We thank you for your faithfulness. We pray that we would continue to be faithful to you. We pray that you would continue to provide for us. And whether tomorrow is a better day or a, a worse day, if, if chaos were to break out or it'd be great times, whatever is ahead of us, we want to trust you and follow you as the good shepherd. You are the bread from heaven. You are our living water. May we thirst for you and hunger for you all the more in good times or bad times. May we always say, blessed be the name of the Lord. We pray this, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.